Episode 33 of the Shark Bites Podcast, a Throwdown Thursday production. I am your host, Patsy the Angry Nerd, and uh, I am here in the Pat Cave. And I am, this week, as always, brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Once you go deadly, you don't go back. But I am also here because I want to talk about something that's uh, near and dear to not just myself, but to many, many people. And that is, of course, the films of Mel Brooks. And... As such, I've had lots of people ask me to uh, come on the show and talk about Mel Brooks with me. So I decided we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about each film on its own. And so I have several folks on this journey with me today. Uh, Introducing first, all the way from, uh, I don't know where exactly he lives, but uh, I want to say Rhode Island. Yes, Uh, Rhode Island. Anthony T. of Anthony T.'s Horror Show. How are you doing today? Doing good, you? doing all right i'm excited to talk to mel brooks with you guys uh and all the way from the uh enchanted exile studio it is parasite steve of retro redoctopus how you doing how's it going man are you feeling enchanted today or i i mean i always feel uh like i'm in exile oh that's and uh and also not true i uh I, i feel good feel good Good. Enjoying this quarantine, it's uh, it's been just just a laugh riot. And oh. speaking of laugh riots, Mel Brooks. Yeah, <laughs> man, I love this guy. I have always loved this guy, so I just had to be on one of your episodes. Oh yeah, I, 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 Mr. Brooks. I know you're a big fan, so I, I had I'm to make a sure big to fan. You. I mean, I'm not that big, but I am a fan. Metaphorically, you are a big fan, mm-hmm. and uh, my bigness is. Is metaphorical, yes. I'm only 5'9". Not that big. uh, It's not your size, it's what you do with it. Right. Which is a recurring theme. And uh, that brings me to my third guest, uh, live from the bar. Uh, It's Isaac. Isaac, how you doing? Hey, hey, hey. I'm doing great, Patsy. Uh, I haven't been on a podcast for a long time, and I'm glad to be back. Thanks for inviting me onto this. Oh, of course. Like I I know you're a big fan, and uh, this is not going to be your only appearance for this uh, series of Mel Brooks films. So uh, buckle up, folks, because you're going to get some more Isaac. You're going to get as much as you can handle and then a little bit more. Strap on. Yes. So uh, what do we got? Uh, Looks like Steve is interrupted. All right. That's not fun. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Steve just sent me a message, so that means that's his internet. Walked into the connection. Try switching. What? Yeah, all his connections are interrupted, so it looks like he's gonna have to spin around. You guys can still hear me, though. Yeah, I can still hear you. Can okay. you hear me? I can hear you, and I can hear Anthony. Oh, so good. it's just Steve, because this happens to me sometimes. You know, with this. Uh, I swear it's never happened before. Um, <laughs> with the uh, the internet, but it seems like it's okay on my end. I think it's uh, I think it's just Steve. So let's uh, he will not be the first uh, one getting the question. So I will start with uh, Isaac since you were the last one I introduced. Yay! Um, 
we are all here because we are big fans of Mel Brooks and his films. So, in your opinion, uh, we'll start with this one because this is a fairly, right. fairly easy question. In your opinion, what is Mel Brooks' best film? Uh, oddly enough, I would have to go with my well, my favorite Mel Brooks film is The Producers. But I would say as far as his masterpiece, like first line in the obituary, that's going to be Blazing Saddles. It's going to be this one. Okay. It's got everything. It's not just one of the best comedies of all times. It's also one of the best westerns. Yeah, I would argue. I can, uh, I can certainly see that. Uh, Anthony, how about you? Mine is also Blazing Saddles. I really think this film is a riot from start to finish. Mel Brooks does a great job directing this film, and he really does a great job with the two set pieces in the film. The ending and the Madeline Kahn scene, where she's, I'm so tired. <laughs> Let's face it, I'm pooped. Steve, uh, same question to you. Uh, what is your favorite Mel Brooks film? Um, it's changed so many times over the years. Um, I think my first favorite was probably the first one I saw, which was Spaceballs, when I was a little kid. So uh, that one really, you know, was the first one that I had uh, not only seen, but I really got the references because I was a fan of Star Wars. So um, it's probably the only one that I would have gotten any sort of references for it at such a young age of like, you know, five or six or something. Um, and later in life, I uh, kind of switched, kind of pivoted to History of the World, which I discovered like in high school. And um, I just thought it was just so incredibly clean. It just, it always stays fresh. It never gets to rest on its laurels. It just keeps going, going, going really, really brisk pace in that movie. Lots of characters. And um, that is just still to this day the one movie that I pretty much laughed all the way through is History of the World. But I think with my later in life love of, uh, horror has become so so much greater. It's like, oh man, especially the old black and white stuff. Like, I love Young Frankenstein. I, I think Young Frankenstein has got to be my favorite at this point. But there, no, I think we lost uh -oh. Steve again. There really are so many. Oh, there we go. Um, lots of good stuff. So I think if I had to pick one, it would probably be probably be Young Frankenstein or Frankenstein. Uh, young Frankenstein. Um, for me, I think it's uh, you know it's very similar to what Steve said because Steve and I are very close in age. But the first one I ever watched is the one that's I think still my favorite, and that's going to be uh, Young Frankenstein because I remember watching that with my dad when I was younger, and I somehow thought that that's how all the uh, old black and white horror movies were, you know, with like a, a huge splash of comedy. Because this one is, you know, there's some scary stuff to it you know like when you see all the dead skulls and uh you know like you know, varying states of decay and you know. ha! ain't got nobody like marty feldman is just uh, he was made to play igor like that was just uh so damn your eyes too, too late, late. <laughs> um, the next, uh, the next question, um, you know, it's kind of fed into that. But uh, what was your first memory of seeing a Mel Brooks film? Like, is it 
did you see the whole thing? Did you see part of it? Like, did a parent show you? Like, did you sneak it? Were you watching it at somebody's house? You'd never heard of Mel Brooks because your parents were Quakers and they didn't want you to uh, see such things. Uh, Isaac, I'll go with you. Um, I think the first time I was exposed to Mel Brooks would probably be sometime in the 80s. I saw Blazing Saddles. It was on television. It wasn't like a rental. Um, I'm pretty sure they threw down the N-word, so it was probably HBO. And I'm just watching this thing, and it's just the opening scene. I think I only just saw the, the first thing I ever saw was just the opening scene where they're working on the railroad, and what's-his-name comes over, and why don't you guys sing a song? And then yeah. they all just bust into, I get no kick from champagne, whoa, and the whole production out of nowhere. Perfect singing. And then, of course, then, of course, the cracker. What about Cantan ladies? And then you start jumping up and down. Then Slim Pickens comes in and starts shooting. You start screaming at them. Then they go into the. It's just. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? <laughs> Acting like a bunch of Kansas City. Yeah. There's you know the next of, word. There's a lot of language that. Uh... Is, yeah. is difficult for us to uh, to repeat on the show today. Like I'm fine but with swearing, but there's a line. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, so what could go wrong with uh, four white middle-aged guys talking about a movie where the N-word features them prominently? What could go wrong? Oh yeah, no, no, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, um, we're perfectly safe. Anthony, how about you? Your first memory of seeing uh, Mel Brooks films. That would be Spaceballs, because that was yeah. also on cable regularly back in the late 80s on HBO. It sure was. Yeah, it sure was. Always <laughs> loved Rick Moranis in that film. And it was yeah. just cr crazy. Whether he, he was on screen at any time in the film, or that little musical number at the diner near the end of the film where... <laughs> I believe John Hurt has this yeah. alien, and this guy's yeah. like, hello, my baby, hello, my baby. Not again. <laughs> what did he have? That's... Oh, he had the special. Special? <laughs> That's what I had. Change my order to the soup. Good call. That's something we're going to have to get into. The fact that Mel Brooks has a great history of musical interludes in his films. Oh, yeah. Just kill. Yeah. And Anthony mentioned before, I'm so tired. Yeah, like there's uh, a lot of. I, I mentioned, you know, I get a kick out of you, followed by the Camptown Ladies. I mean, is does anything top springtime for Hitler? I mean, the Inquisition. <laughs> Let's begin the Inquisition. <laughs> Look out, sin! I bet you're wishing that we go away. But the Inquisition's here, and it's here to stay. We're men, we're men in tights. <laughs> well, and, and sometimes, and like with Blazing Saddles, you have musical numbers that have absolutely nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> like and that final scene. Not in the face! Mm. <laughs> the French mistake. Yes. Oh, love it. Steve, how about, how about you? I know you, 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 you touched on it a little bit, but uh, if you want to elaborate on when you first got to see... Uh, Mel Brooks. Sure. Um, definitely on cable. Definitely Spaceballs, as I said. Um, like, I think that what uh, what made me love it so much, it was the first time I had seen a lot of a lot of stuff. It was probably the first parody I ever saw. 
that was a new concept. Um, it was, like I said, it was a parody that I, I understood. I, I got the references and all that stuff. Um, but it was also a lot of, uh, like, you know, Mel Brooks, what I think makes him so great is he has a lot of very Mel Brooks acts. He invented a lot of stuff. Um, there's a lot of sight gags, a lot of weird literal stuff. You know, I always loved when he, um, when he would do uh, a zoom and then the camera would actually run into something. Yeah. Right. That, that happened in a lot of his movies, a few of them anyway. And uh, they, they, he redid it in Robin Hood and Tights. And, and I just loved that. I'd never seen anything like that. I probably had never seen anyone break the fourth wall before. Um, so, so it was like the, the genesis of like me loving a lot of what I love about comedy just kind of all came from Spaceballs. And, um, you know, it was, I didn't, I didn't see Young Frankenstein, like, as you said, you saw it right away. I, it was years before I saw that. Um, and it's funny because there's that scene in Spaceballs where he's looking at, you know, let's go to Mr. Video Store or whatever. And he's going through all the Mel Brooks movies <laughs> yeah. around the shelf. And, um, and Young Frankenstein is always the one that, that stuck out at me. And I think maybe because like the, the, the covers turned face front maybe you can see the whole cover mm -hmm. but uh, it always stuck out and i was like oh young frankenstein right there's that's a movie i should see and i just i don't know i just never did uh, uh not as a little kid it wasn't until like i was probably approaching yeah like i am now uh, but yeah so i don't know i i would say that that's that's probably what got me i think so much is that all there were so many things that were different i hadn't seen before and they were, you know, just just brilliantly done, you know, by whatever the cast was and the directing and everything. It's just, it's just, there is something special uh, when it's a Mel Brooks movie. I just to this day, he's my fave. He's my fave, like uh, you know, Monty Python, Mel Brooks, um, oh, yeah. right up there. Yeah. See, with with me, like, you know, Spaceballs came out, you know, you know, eighty seven, uh, eighty eighty nine. I'm. I think 86. 87. It is 87? Okay. okay. So that came out in 87. I was six then. So it was like right around that time. You know, it was a couple of years before. You know, maybe I was four or five. You know, I remember watching, you know, my dad was watching uh, uh, Young Frankenstein. So, like, I remember that first. But I also remember seeing, uh, it's not something that Mel Brooks directed, but he was heavily involved in it. But he made sure to take his name off it because he didn't want people associating his name with it. And that was the Get Elephant the man. man. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Directed by David Lynch. So it's like, I mean, you definitely get, you know, the ending of that is very Lynchian. But for the most part, like, it's not a typical David Lynch film. Like, there's not a lot of crazy weirdness because it's, you know, history. It's, it's real. This was a real guy with Proteus Syndrome. You know, and I do remember watching um, Spaceballs. Like, we rented it from the video store up the street, and we brought it to my aunt's house at the Cape, and, you know, because we were going to go away for the weekend, and we were all watching it. And Mel Brooks movies are one of those, like, you can have younger kids watching them because they're not going to get all the jokes. Yep. You know, but, like, there's still enough in there where it's funny. You know, but I remember having to explain to my mom, like, like, yeah, he's using the sword. She's oh, he set his balls on fire. I'm like, no, he's he, squeezing them. Like, that's what's going on. Like, I know there's, like, a laser beam coming out of the ring, but, like, that's just for, you know, illustration purposes. Like, 
and you know I had already seen most of the Star Trek movies at that point you know uh, you know in you know the late 80s so I was familiar with Star Trek I was familiar with Star Wars so I knew you know I got most of the references you know like snotty mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's where uh, that's where I got that so now uh, let's move on to the main Let's try that beaming thing. thing. What the hell? It works on Star Trek. Yeah, like, I <laughs> love that, like, Star Trek is a thing that exists in that universe. The other yeah. thing, I had also seen the original Planet of the Apes, so I understood that ending. I did, too. <laughs> I, I I really uh, loved that ending, and looking back, it's, like, funny that I, I got that joke. And it's, this is, yeah. like, right around the time that, like, the, the, the MPAA ratings came out. Because this is rated PG, you would never get away <laughs> with this. Like, first of all, like at at least this would be PG thirteen because they do drop one. Space balls or spaceballs? Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Oh, because that was like you know because there's numerous references to oral sex. There's there's lots of sexual content, and then you have the one f bomb where it's like fuck. Even in the future, nothing works. <laughs> <laughs> you know so. Like, oh, no, Blazing Saddles, there, there was, like, you know, like, there wasn't anything resembling what, you know, you have now for, as far as, like, MPAA ratings. Um, right. There was... I know that somebody talked about, at one point, it was supposed to be Richard Pryor in yes. as the role of yeah, Bart yes. instead of Cleavon Little. And... Mm-hmm. That would make sense because of how many times Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor hooked up together. Um, And that was always fucking gold. Like, I can't think of a bad time that those guys were in a movie together. But I think having Cleavon Little and having it be a little bit of a different dynamic, because he's definitely a much different actor than Richard Pryor is. Less cocaine. (laughs) <laughs> far less, far less, yes. Less of an insurance risk. Yeah. Probably set himself on fire fewer times. Just because to... that's what happened. Uh, this this whole thing was kind of, it sort of started with Richard Pryor. He had a, he had written a script, and it was it was called, like, you know, The Black Cowboy or something like that. And he was trying to shop that around, and eventually it kind of just morphed into uh, Blazing Saddles. And he was very intrinsically linked to the genesis of the movie like big time and um and mel wanted to make the movie and he wanted to make it with richard Pryor, and that was the deal and then it was a matter of this this studio was like uh look he's he's starting to bring like cocaine into like the table reads and, and <laughs> like he's like and the problem like, is yeah the problem is that you can't count on him he doesn't he have would, enough like, for everyone on the case and uh, so literally, it was a it was an insurance thing. They're like, we can't we can't bank on this guy at all. And already, this this movie was very hard to get greenlit. Um, I got to see the movie uh, with Mel Brooks in the audience a couple of years ago because he was like doing his tour, and then he did it with Young Frankenstein as well. And so he he was saying that was awesome. By the way, just, just even though I was very far back, just being in the same room with with Mel was super cool. But like. He, uh, he said that, like, a lot of people assume, like, oh, they say, like, oh, well, this movie, you know, good thing you made it back then. It, it could never be made today. He's like, this movie could never be made when I made it. He's like, it literally was impossible. The, the fact that it somehow got made is like a miracle. And he said it was not like it was an easy sell just because it was the 70s. 
but you know, uh, yeah, at the last minute they uh, they they're like, yeah, no, you can't you can't hire Richard Pryor. But he he kept him on, and when they were uh, auditioning uh, for the part of Black Bart, um, Mel made sure that Richard Pryor was involved in the casting process, and they, that he approved of whoever was going to take over. Because Pryor was like, okay, like he wasn't he wasn't he didn't walk away pissed. He literally was like, all right, well, now I guess that's that. And then, but it was the whole thing was like all because of him. And so it was just, it was cool that Mel was a solid dude about it. And uh, and he and Richard Pryor loved Cleveland Littleman in the role and the reading and the rest is history. So hmm. definitely really cool. But uh, yeah, it definitely would have been a different move because uh, Richard Pryor had this like anger all the time that Cleveland Little just doesn't have this movie. So I yeah, think that I think true. the character would have been very different. So, well, if you want, to, well, go ahead. Isaac. If, you want, well, if you want to talk about different casting, do you know who Mel Brooks originally offered the role of the Waco Kid to? No, I can't remember. I know it was. I know Gene Wilder came in at the last second. Talk about a different movie, John Wayne. Oh jeez! Oh, they wanted John Wayne to play the Waco Kid. Uh, he declined because he thought the movie was too blue for his image. Although he did say it was a great script and he wanted to, he would see it when it, when it finally came out. But I mean, that would have been something though. John Wayne playing basically a parody of his usual tough guy cowboy self. I don't know if he could have pulled it off. It would have been a different movie if John could... Wayne was in that film. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah, you know, John Gene Wayne and Richard Pryor? That is... <laughs> <laughs> Oh Jesus! No, no. What's the high, no. What's the under on the no. fist fights that would have broken out? Oh, yeah, there would have been a lot, <laughs> a lot more racial slurs. Uh, uh, yeah, I remember. And already, like, it already is blazing saddles. So right. I remember watching it the first time, and like, you know, I I saw like bits and pieces of it because my dad was watching it, and like I was a kid, I it didn't. I was like, Western, like, I don't care about this, you know, not realizing that it was a Mel Brooks film. And I remember walking in and my dad's like, watch this. And it was the part at the beginning when they're like, oh, those hand cars are like $400 a piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, I was like, why wouldn't they help the guys? Like, why did they? Do- like, I don't get it, you know, because I was like eight. I don't know, maybe less. Um, now, this is this is the next question for you guys. Um when you first saw it, did you see it, you know, sit down, here's the opening credits, watch the whole thing straight in? Or was it kind of like what happened with me where, like, I've seen, you know, random scenes because it was playing on TV, you know, and my dad was flipping stations here and there. Um, That's what always happened to me, yeah. So what was the what was your first experience uh, with it? So, uh, Anthony, I'll go with you. You haven't said anything in a while. Uh, my first experience was that I saw the whole movie pretty much blindly because I wanted to get to know more about the works of Mel Brooks. And this was one of his most popular films. So I was watching this film blindly, brought the Blu-ray, I believe. And it is, and it, I had a very fun time watching it the first time around. Today, it may be a little different because of the racial tones and everything, but the first time I watched it, it was funny. So when so this is this must be you know fairly recently. Like when was this? You know, just a few years ago. 
I would say about about five, six, seven years ago. Okay, yeah. So still fairly recently, uh, especially for a movie that came out in you know the seventies. Was it seventy six, seventy four? Um, this is you know this is or I think it was seventy. I think I think Silver Street came out in seventy six, and this was a few years before that. Okay, so Silver Street. Just I only mention it because it's Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, yeah. not Mel. <laughs> but um, you know, so you're just getting to see this. You know, you're you're for lack of a better term, you're late to the party on this one. Like you know, this has been out for a while, and you're just seeing this. You know, it's been out. 30 years, 40 years at this point. So what was your initial uh, thought? And I'm going to get to you guys, too, on this. But when you first watched it, like, what was your initial thought? I wonder if this is going to be a really good film like everybody says it is. And thankfully it was, really. Because the film has some really great comedic set pieces. The one that I spoofed before, plus... The ending is just pure comedic gold. Yeah, and I definitely think that they took some creative license. It's like, okay, it's midnight. They're going to be here at sun at sunup. Let's put this entire elaborate thing together. You know, let's build a replica of the town. Uh, you know, and we have six hours to do it. It's like, all right, teamwork. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Steve. How about you? When you when you first saw it, because you you mentioned that you had seen like bits and pieces, because you know people are flipping channels on you. What right. uh, you know? What was your initial uh, uh, reaction to it? Um, I think the I think the first scene that I remember uh, seeing was was actually when they when they break out of the theater and they they do the French joke and they you know uh, or the French mistake the French mistake. Uh, and they do the whole thing with Dom DeLuise and, and all that stuff. And it was just so unbelievably bizarre that I actually was turned off. I was like, this is dumb. I don't know what this is. I guess it's supposed to be a cowboy thing, but it's not even cowboys. They break out and it just doesn't make any sense. And it just, it just to me, at the age that I currently was, whatever that was, um, I was like kind of all set. So I actually didn't, didn't see it until later. Honestly, like I think all of my... When I started to do what Anthony, what you just said, where I was like really getting into it, like I'm going to watch all his back catalog. Um, I think that came after Robin Hood for me. So I knew he was. I remember Spaceballs. He froze. Yep. I knew he made that. Right there. Ooh. Yeah, He's been replaced by Synthesizer. Sorry, you're you're back, Steve. You're back. You yeah. he had made he had made spaceballs. Yeah, he had made spaceballs. Yeah, I'm having some uh, connective uh, troubles here today. I'm not sure why. I apologize, um, but um, yeah. So I think I think it was really after after Robin Hood. So I think that came out in like '91, two or three, something, yeah, like, somewhere something in there. like that. And and after that, I was like, okay, this was this is the, like the funniest movie. I I have to go back and see more. And um, at that point, I went and watched like all of them. And um, uh, so finally, I, I got to see, you know, from the beginning, by the time when you when you get to the part in Blazing Saddles where they break out of the theater, it, it really is so unexpected and so brilliant and so amazing. But like for that to be my first scene, it was probably not the best first scene to walk in on, you know. But uh, oh, man, I mean. To this day, that that's I think one of the funniest, most bold, like 
scenes in any comedy ever. Like the fact that they do that is just absolutely insanely funny. All right, Isaac. And it was referenced. Oh. It, can I can I just say it was referenced in a, an episode of the, super, of the TV show Supernatural, because oh. there was an episode like I don't know one of the middle seasons I don't know five or six or something, the the guys actually got sucked into a TV world, and uh, the name of the episode was The French Mistake. Nice, <laughs> Isaac. Isaac, how about you? Uh, I think the first time I saw it again, it was on HBO sometime in the eighties. I only saw it up to the part where Bart uh, drills the shovel into the back of Slim Pickens' head. But I know at some point, also still at some point, maybe like uh, within the next year or two, I must have rented it because I know I saw the whole thing. But I, th- I mean, I thought it was genius then, and I think it's genius now. And I think one of the things that really helps with it is that, and you don't see enough of this in modern comedies, as insane as this film gets as insane as any Mel Brooks movie goes and this one goes into full-blown Looney Tunes territory Mm. especially towards the end everybody does it completely straight nobody's acting wacky Mm -hmm. like like a Will Ferrell movie his character's wacky and he acts wacky um Fred another great example uh Fred Willard died this week unfortunately yep But the great thing about Willard is he was capable of saying just absolutely insane things with a completely straight face. Like, you look at his work in Best in Show, and he just, he's not acting wacky at all. He's just completely straight-faced, like an announcer at a dog show saying, and to think in some countries that those dogs would be eaten. You know, yeah. that's, what, that's what Blazing Saddles has. As crazy as it gets, everybody stays in character. And that, I think, is the Jesus. That's why you can have somebody say, why don't you guys sing a song? And then have everybody burst into, I get a kick out of you. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, and this is kind of uh, Mel's signature. It's almost like straight comedy where, you know, it's something you would not expect it, but it's just like it's so off the wall bonkers that it's one of the funniest goddamn things you'll ever see. And even when you see it five or six times, walk this way. No matter how many times you see it, it's always funny. I mean, I remember watching, you know, again, I saw the opening scene. And then, you know, a few years later, it was the same situation. Dad's on the couch flipping channels. And he's like, oh, Blazing Saddles is on. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know that. And he's like, oh, watch this part. And it's when... They have the big uh, parade. They're welcoming the new sheriff, and uh, they see him, and it's like... Uh, the sheriff is near? Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, corn flooring, darn it. And it's like... Oh, damn it. And he pulls, he pulls the gun on himself, like that whole scene. Yeah, yeah. He's crazy, oh, he'll do it. <laughs> and then he gets to meet the Waco do kid. Do what he's saying, do what he's saying. <laughs> That's a sure way to get him killed. <laughs> and then he meets the then he meets the Waco kid, and he's like, "What do you like to do? Play chess? Screw? Well, let's play chess." Like that whole like middle scene there, I got to see that. Uh, getting to see Mongo. Oh, if you shoot him, you'll only make him mad. Uh, like that whole thing. Like when he walks into town and just punches the horse. Like, yes. <laughs> Like who does that shit? Does anybody know how they accomplish that? Because I I don't. A very well trained horse. The horse to just go down. Just, they train the horse to do it. He actually punched the horse. He was just like fuck this horse in particular. 
Like I and I love like some of the stuff he he puts in like you know the Howard Johnson's like one flavor ice cream like mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's the little touches that he puts mm-hmm. in all yeah. of his films that really like I've seen it imitated in a lot of different uh, mediums like there's a, a comic strip I, I reference a lot called um, Foxtrot by Bill Amend that I I love intensely and there's always like little things like you know in the back room in the background they have like family pictures and like it's other comic strip characters or like you have two characters talking to each other and in the background there's like a, a framed picture of San Francisco but like as each panel progresses like there's more and more fog in the back of the uh, in the framed picture it's 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 just little shit like that that like it's this extra attention to detail that tells you that this you know creator really you know has put their heart and soul into their craft and the fact that you have uh Mel Brooks himself in limited roles like a lot of guys yeah. will insert themselves into the movies and it doesn't always go that well but I don't think there's ever been a time when Mel did a poor job of it especially this I didn't get a harumph out of that guy (laughs) I got a broken one (laughs) mine's warped why do I always get the warped Warped, one that's what it was And he he often uh, will play more than one character. Like in this movie, he's the uh, the Native American chief that they run into. Yet he has this like intense Yiddish accent. Yeah, which is always just so so hilarious that he he always make, what needs to make everything very Jewish. Well, it's like uh, you know very again funny. you know his role in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, where he, instead of Friar Tuck, he's Rabbi Tuckman. Yes, exactly. Moyle yeah. extraordinaire. <laughs> We'll bless everything. We'll bless the trees. We'll bless the rocks. We'll bless everything until we get first naked. There's things here. There's trees. There's rocks. There's birds. There's squirrels. There's squirrels. Talking about circumcisions. Yeah. You put. You take your little thing. Put it in my little in machine and nip the tip. Who's first? Blinken's, I'll take two. Blinken's like, question. And Dave Chappelle puts his hand down. Um. So, on that note, like, what's one of your favorite, like, little, like, little moments from this film that, like, every time you see it, you're just like, like, you go to, when you watch it, you're like, I'm waiting for this part. Or, like, if you're showing it to someone for the first time, you're like, watch this. Like, this shit's funny. Uh, Steve, I'll go with you. You look like you're, like, chomping at the bit to say something. Um, the, the scene when they're, they're waiting in line to get through the toll booth. To just go to town. <laughs> it absolutely kills me every time. It's so funny. Like there's nothing but space on either side. And go back idiots. and get a shitload of dimes. <laughs> I know. Just, it's so funny. It's like, how do we slow them down? They put a toll booth. They're so stupid. Oh my oh, god. That's, that's fine. That's great. Isaac, how about you? Uh, everything that happens prior to Slim Pickens. No way. It wasn't Slim Pickens. Uh, his assistant saying. Would you like some beans, Mr. Taggart? <laughs> Just the bean scene. Yeah. That's all you got to say. <laughs> uh, Anthony, how about you, bud? Waiting for all the action to spill out in the Warner Brothers studio lot. <laughs> yes. In the, the, the scene in the commissary. <laughs> how, much, how much longer do you have? They lose me out to the bunker scene. <laughs> Yeah, like that's uh yeah, the commissary scene is fucking yeah. spectacular. 
Well, you get the uh, in the in the right after Dom DeLuise, not in the face, and you see like the two guys fight, and they go behind, and they come out, and they're like holding hands, like making dinner plans or whatever. I'm parked out back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that that scene, like, it's oh, there's nothing about this movie I don't like. Like even you know Mel Brooks when he's uh, he when they uh, they first introduce him to the sheriff and he's like get over here come here and he like instead of grabbing uh, Headley Lamar he grabs Bart and he goes did you know that he's a nit <laughs> he like looks at him he's like Whoops. he goes back and grabs Headley goes did you know he was a nit <laughs> <laughs> oh it's it's brilliant and the uh, the old lady baking him the pie. You won't mm-hmm. tell anyone about this. Really. Yeah. <laughs> You'll do the decent thing and not tell anyone I was here. Of course. Uh, yeah. And I love how the uh, the headsman was also in uh, Robin Hood. Yes. Yeah. The way yeah. That I happened to see it was uh, in reverse, so I, I didn't. I hadn't seen that yeah. scene because uh, I hadn't seen the whole movie yet. So when I, you know, went back, I was like, "Oh my God, it's the headsman! It's so great!" You know what they say: no news is good news. No good news. <laughs> Uh, so, obviously, this movie is vastly quotable. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say one of my favorite quotes, not because it's particularly funny, but it's the juxtaposition of what's going on when they're uh, they're trying to sneak into the line and, and join the posse, and they see the two <laughs> clan members, and uh, Gene Wilde was like, oh, boys, look what I found. Where are the white women at? (laughs) (laughs) And there was, uh, at the time, uh, I I think it was like the early to mid-90s, WAAF had a promo that they would play, you know, now and then. And that was one of the the quotes that was in it. And I had never seen it. And I I was watching the movie with my dad. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's in this thing. He's like, oh, you should have just asked me what that was from. I'm like, like. Yeah, like, you know what that's from, but why would I assume that you would know a quote of where the white women at? Like, what what, what that was referencing? He's like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, we'll start with Anthony. Your, uh, your favorite quote or, like, you know, just, you know, interaction between characters. I would have to say the, the scene where the... Sheriff goes up to Mongo and gives him a package. This is the first interaction with him and Mongo. And he just is all like dressed up as a delivery man. Candy gram for Mongo. (laughs) The real bitch of it was inventing the candy gram. (laughs) Probably won't get credit for that neither. Uh, Isaac, how about you? Uh, Probably uh, right after Bart. Uh, he's tried introducing himself to a townsfolk, and the old lady calls him the N-word. And up Gene yours. Wilder, <laughs> not that part, oh, but no. the part afterwards. Okay. Where Gene Wilder's trying to console him. He's like, you have to understand, these are plain people. Honest, hardworking people of the land. You know, morons. <laughs> Steve? And that, after that line, like, the, the laugh that they share is so genuine. Mm-hmm. And Cleavon, yeah. like, tears up in that part and it's it's just so genuine and perfect and like you could film that 
a hundred more times and not get as good of a shot as is the one that, that's in the movie. I mean, it's just it's just awesome. Uh, um, you really got the sense that they were having a lot of fun, and uh, and also that the the emotion that he's trying to convey is is like a hundred percent real. I don't know. I just love that that particular moment. Um, I'll just go with a. Uh, excuse me while I whip this up. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that is a great. One. Of course, Get everyone's in shock. Of course, we're not mentioning uh, we're not mentioning uh, Madeline Kahn quite as much. I do. I am a, a very large uh, Madeline Kahn fan uh, to the point where my daughter is named Madeline for her. And uh, so I'll give a, give a little Lily Vaughn show. Hello, handsome. Is that a ten gallon hat? Are you just enjoying the show? <laughs> that's a great line. Oh, I just like. Is the, Bismarck? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The uh, the fact that they try to. Uh, like that's one of their um, their their ploys to their their plans to take down the sheriff, and it totally backfires. What were you gonna say, Isaac? Is Bismarck a hewing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, the, the whole movie, she's talking like Elmer Fudd. I know it's such and a it works. Weird <laughs> it's not German, but it works. I know it's so weird. Uh, it, it's I ended so... a quiet shame. God damn it! I'm exhausted. <laughs> Yeah, she's... Then later on, he gets, he gets the note from her. I would like to see you in my dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's there's something to be said for the consistency of characters in Mel Brooks films. Um, yeah, she just she does a great job. Um, we don't mention her enough, but no. um, he tends to. There's like two types of characters in his uh, or female characters in his. In his films, there's the uh, serious, you know, like actual fleshed out characters. And then there's just like the ladies that are there just to be ogled, you know, like mm-hmm. his uh, his secretary. Mm-hmm. I forget her the, name. The, the Hello, twins. boys. Yes. <laughs> are the twins in Spaceballs? Charlene and Marlene. <laughs> or yeah. uh, and Marlene. Gretchen. And Charlene. Chew your gum. To be fair, though, those camera the the eye candy actresses—they're just like cameos. They're only there for like less than a couple of seconds, just for a yeah. quick gag. I mean, the large—you know—I mean, Marilyn Conn was like at least three of Brooks's movies. Yeah, you got Blazing Saddles. You got Frankenstein, and then High Anxiety. And High Anxiety is her her biggest role by far. Yeah, and she does play it straight. She's not really there. I mean, she has some jokes, but she's not there specifically for the comedy. Yeah, and a lot of it is just, you know, the the <clears throat> the brilliance of Mel Brooks is that he is able to not just, you know, write an exciting and and hilarious script. He's able to get the actors to deliver the lines the way he needs them to. I mean, like I take something like silent a silent movie where there's mm-hmm. One spoken word throughout the entire film, and it's by a mime. Yep. And then, like, the immediate follow-up. What did he say? I don't know. I don't speak French. (laughs) So Yeah, he he allowed... He he found these these great actors, and then he he allowed them to do what made them great. So they all played to their strengths at all times. And uh, somebody like Madeline Kahn, you know, you absolutely were able... You're able to like, you know, get all different sides to what makes her so funny. But like we did, uh, she is also in uh, 
History of the World Part One, and she plays uh, Empress Nympho. Yes. Uh, the, the, the Holy Roman Empire, of course. And she has she has the immortal line, Can you please step on the same foot at the same time? <laughs> when they're carrying her. <laughs> like, nobody else would have done that like that. Like, not no one. No. She, like, had that way of almost talking off key. And, um, yeah, Mel just let her do her thing, you know. There's, mm. And she did that. He did that with everyone. Everybody yeah. got to be so very them. I would imagine cool. that there is a significant amount of ad-libbing when it comes to these these scripts because the people that you have in the in these in these roles are you know comedic geniuses like you might not have had like the biggest comedy names at the time like you know he never had like a a, a Bill Murray in one of his movies you know he it was always you know guys like you know though he had Leslie Nielsen for uh, was that him that did Dead and Loving It yeah yeah <clears throat> I was I, I couldn't remember if that was him that did that movie or not. But like, you know, he had Leslie Nielsen, but like Nielsen already had, you know, this long history of, of those types of roles. But you have uh Gene Wilder, who can be creepy as hell, which we saw in Charlie and the, or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but his characters like his delivery wasn't overly different <clears throat> in uh Blazing Saddles as it was when he was uh, Victor Frankenstein. Although when he changed into Victor Frankenstein, uh, he he changed a little bit. Um, I don't know. I'd say there are some significant differences between the two characters. Yeah. Uh, with the way Kokato was definitely on an even keel throughout, but Victor had a temper. Yeah. He. Yeah. You're he right. Not like to be. He was up and down he, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He he'd get annoyed by things. Put and just the to say, like, yes. back in. Yeah, put the candle. No, this is very important. Do not put the candle back with all of your might. Shove on the other side of the bookcase. And uh, you know, you're saying he, he worked with smaller people, not a Bill Murray. I mean, it's it's easy for us today to forget just how big Gene Wilder became. Uh, in the '70s and uh, by the '80s, he was like as A-list as a comedian could possibly get. He was in uh, so many hits and flops, um, but he he was the top of the list for a while. They were letting him, he could he could write his own ticket for a while there. He was writing his own stuff and doing his own movies. A lot, you know, like uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes' younger, smarter brother and uh, uh, what was the other one, The World's Greatest Lover. Like he, he wrote a bunch that like weren't that great, but they, they have some merit, but he was constantly, constantly working, and a lot of times they were, they were big hits uh, for sure. He had like, I mean, he made four movies with Richard Pryor. Silver Streak was so big that they just kept putting him back together, mm-hmm. even though Richard Pryor kept getting worse and worse and worse. And according to Gene, by the third one, it was already really bad, and making the fourth one was very, very difficult. Which I think, I think the last one was seen in Weeble. Here in Weeble. Yeah, that would have been the last one. But like uh, you know, he, he said it was it was really really hard to make those because he literally just wouldn't show up. You'd never know. Uh, but like, um, so I mean, Gene Wilder was by far Bill Murray. Um, oh no no, I, what I'm saying is like it, it wasn't like one of these casts where it's like you have like a ton of people. Like I don't look at Carrie Elwes and think that's a comedic actor. You know, like 
I don't look. I mean, Dom DeLuise, obviously, like that's just you know his delivery. That's how he's been. Dick Van Patten, yeah. same thing. You know, like, but they were in smaller roles. You know, I obviously John Candy, yes, but I wouldn't look at like Daphne Zuniga or Bill Paxton. Yeah, Bill Paxton or Bill oh, Pullman. Pullman. I always do that. I knew I was going to do that too. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, look at Bill Pullman and be like, comedy. Yep, comedy gold right there. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Those two are really. And he was able to find some people. Us. Like, look at what he did for Chappelle. Like. Nobody knew who Dave Chappelle was in, you know, 92, 93. Like, he was maybe hanging around with, like, Jim Brewer and doing, like, uh, you know, those, you know, those movies. Uh, what the hell is oh, the, the um, Half-Baked. Yeah, Half-Baked. Yeah. Like, yeah. he wasn't any, like, Mel Brooks really, you know, helped his career out. Well, Mel, Mel really, like, a lot of his, uh, the people that he was hiring in the beginning were from, like, TV at like 60s TV shows like because Mel got to start on the Sid Caesar show in in the 60s and he was a writer he was a performer and so a lot of those people were all from the same scene so so I think like Don DeLuise and stuff and and he met he did meet a lot of people along the way but there were you know a lot of people that were from that sort of the old style that's why you know you're talking about like everybody played it straight and uh, you know this was this was the style of TV at the time, um, and uh, you know he uh, he did propel a lot of people to start for sure because when he started to make movies, it was a big it was a big thing. And even and you know even how big Sid Caesar was back in the '60s because he had the show for years and it was top rated show. It was a major major show. Um, it was a variety show, and uh, he just never really wanted to continue. After that, he was he was older already at that point, and he had put in so many years. And I think the Sid Caesar show was on for in various uh, incarnations, I think, for more than ten years. And uh, a lot of people got their start just working with him. And uh, Sid Caesar only appears in like a few cameos. Like he's just a he's in. I think he's in History of the World. Uh, I can't even remember like where he is. He just shows up real quick a couple of times, but he's not. He's not any meaningful part but that was just he was good he just uh, that was something else that he was that mel did a lot where he would take these big name actors and give them like two second roles you know like gene hackman and young frankenstein like yeah it's it, yeah. unless you know that's gene hackman like you you look at you're looking at him doesn't look like gene hackman you know it you know obviously he's got that distinctive voice but you're like Man, I was gonna make espresso. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, he you know he lobbied for that. He really wanted to be in that that movie. He's like, he's like, put me in this movie somewhere. Yeah, and and he you got you know like very uh, wanted to be in that. You know Jackie Mason in uh, History of the World. You know like all these like big names that had tiny little little roles like as just like you know I have a line and I'm on screen for ten seconds. Yeah. And then we move on. Like, I don't have and any impact Jackie on the Yep. I love that. Oh, it's, it's fucking hilarious. But I was sitting flicking chickens. I was sifting through the pickings. And all of a sudden, these guys broke down my walls. <laughs> I used to be able to do the whole thing. I uh, started playing ping pong with my balls. I don't know. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's so well done, like, the way he just, like, puts people in these roles. And he gets or zero Mostel, like we were we were talking off camera, off mic earlier. 
about the producers, like Sarah Mostel, like he was a huge actor at the time that is easily forgotten now today. Which is a, a tragedy. tragedy. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So we're closing oh. in. Uh, go ahead, Isaac. I was gonna mention since we're talking about unusual uh, like casting, like um, we mentioned Mongo before. Uh, mm-hmm. The actor who played Mongo is Alex Karras. Yep. I think I, I think I'm saying his name right. Yes. He eventually became George on Webster. Mm-hmm. He was the white father. Mm-hmm. And when you eventually do the producers, there's another guy who also is in that film who went to become an, uh, a star on an ABC sitcom. I don't want to say anything about it, though. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of weird that Mongo eventually became, you know, a, a family a guy on an ABC sitcom. A guy who punched out a horse is eventually teaching <laughs> Webster life lessons. Yeah, right. Well, and, and it's funny because, you know, he kind of set the stage a little bit because he was uh, a football player. And that kind yeah. of opened up the door for a guy like Bubba Smith, who was also very fun. You know, he was a, a, a lineman, defensive lineman for the Colts or Rams. I forget which. Uh, and I think it was the Colts. And he ended up, you know, playing Hightower in the Police Academy series. Right. So I just, you ever do those? If you ever do those, you got to call Monster Zero. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen them, so I'm going to have to rewatch them. But again, and there's another connection. You know, Michael Winslow in Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and again, that was just a small role, like just there for like two seconds. And, you know, again, another small cameo that we mentioned earlier. Uh, Anthony mentioned it. John Hurt at the end of Spaceballs mm-hmm. reprising yeah, yeah. his role. From Alien. Yeah. Oh, no. Not again. <laughs> so we're closing in on a, about an hour, but, you know, I, mean, I have no no time uh, limits or restrictions, but I want to kind of get some of your guys' uh, final thoughts when it comes to this. Like, when you watch this film, <clears throat> now I'm going to start with you, Steve, because you know, you've, you've got the... Uh, You've got kids, and I don't, I don't think any of the rest of us have kids. Like, I know I don't. Um, no. And, uh, Andy, no. You, you don't have any youngins. Okay. No. Uh, not living. Not living. <laughs> uh, you can't prove shit. Um, <laughs> I was acquitted. <laughs> um, Steve, have you started showing uh, your daughter any of the Mel Brooks films? And if you have... What did you start with, and how did you, uh, how have you progressed, or how do you plan to progress? No, it's funny, I have not. And um, now that you mention it, it really does seem like I should. Um, she's familiar with uh, with the guy because he's the guy on our wall. Because we, uh, I have a, I have an autographed uh, photo of Mel on, in the living room. Nice. Um, and uh, she, which by the way, I got for free because legitimately i don't know if he still does it but about seven years ago he was still answering fan mail and i found out about it we could literally write him and just say hi i'm a huge fan could you send me something and just this is the old style of what hollywood stars would do and he just literally sent me back a signed picture um but anyway uh so she, she is a big fan of some of the other ones so my my big my big three like troops are Mel, Mel Brooks and his his ilk and all his movies and his troops that people have come and go. Van, Dick Van Patten, too, is in a ton of movies. Uh, definitely part of that. Uh, but, like, um, 
Monty Python, and then the films of Christopher Guest, which were, which Isaac mentioned, Best in Show, which is awesome. Those are like my big three. And um, I've actually gone through all of the Christopher Guest movies with my daughter, who's 11. And she absolutely loves them, especially Best in Show. And that one's the one that we've watched more than once. She actually wanted to see it again. Um, so I do really, I really think I got to start. I'm not sure what I would start with. Um, maybe Robin Hood or, um, well, maybe The Producers. Uh, I, was, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I would start. But that shined the spotlight on me, Patsy. And now, now, I, now I feel like I'm. I'm not raising my child, right? <laughs> this is a problem. Shame. Yeah. DSS will be at your house momentarily. I, I accept that shame. I deserve it. So, Isaac, uh, yes. we have we have determined that you do not have children, but if you did... Uh, at I, do, I do have young nephews. Okay. I do have young nephews, so if I were to introduce them to Mel Brooks... <clears throat> I would start with Spaceballs because they would be familiar with Star Wars, so they would be able to understand the references to that. After that, probably Young Frankenstein next. Um, and then Blazing Saddles, and then eventually The Producers. I do it in that order because the material becomes more adult as you go along. Mm. Nobody's saying the N-word in Young Frankenstein. Uh, I want them to be older. I think they're uh, like nine and seven right now. I think we're not very close. <laughs> they they're live a couple nieces, miles. They're nephews. They're one, nieces. one of them lives within walking distance, but we're not that close. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, because you want them older before they start seeing Blazing Saddles and Gang. Although I probably was their age when I saw Blazing Saddles. So who knows me? I'm I'm wrong. But I would leave the producers last because you really got to understand. Nazis and what Brooks is really making fun of to appreciate just how far he goes with that film. So right. I, I would start with Spaceballs. Okay, Anthony, how about you? If you uh, if you had kids or you know young young nephews and nieces, most definitely would be Spaceballs because let's face it, everyone would know Star Wars, so that would be like more of an easier sell to get my kids hypothetically. If I had them, I would definitely start them off with that film because basically I think that's the perfect introduction to Mel Brooks films because Spaceballs is definitely a spoof of one of the greatest pop culture series of all time. So I would start them with that, then maybe move on to the horror side because I'm a horror person mm -hmm. with young Frankenstein and Dracula dead and loving it. Then maybe throw Robin Hood men in tights in there. Then maybe if they were older, I would start introducing them to Blazing Saddles and some of his other most popular films. See, if it's me... Uh, I'm I'm kind of uh, and I'm surprised Steve didn't say this um, based on you know what Steve's house looks like. Um, I would start with Young Frankenstein because I think my kids are going to have a, a a basis in horror. I mean they're also going to have a basis in uh, you know sci-fi and you know Star Wars and whatnot. But I think 
having uh, Young Frankenstein as the first one, because I'm looking at, like, you know, how they're going to react to certain jokes or certain um, situations that arise in the in the film. Like, there are, are certain things that happen in Spaceballs, like when they accidentally shut the movie off and they come back and, like, the guy's got his face buried in uh, Gretchen's cleavage. You know, uh-huh. like, that'd be a little tougher to explain to a... a seven or eight year old kid even a 10 or 11 year old kid then uncle patsy uncle patsy what does he mean when he says work on your putts (laughs) (laughs) Um, well you see in golf (laughs) but then you have uh you know young frankenstein you know the the only thing you really have is you know you know, like, oh, seven or eight quick ones and you're off with the boys you know like (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and, yeah. and and the very end, like he got some of your. Oh my god, I think I love it. He got some of your wonderful brain. Like, what did you get from him? Uh, he would have an enormous Schwanstucker. Um, well, that just goes without saying. Um, I think, it, and I'm probably doing this because this is like the way I was introduced to them. So it's like you know, and I think I'm gonna do the same thing. I mean, I, you assume you did it right. Yeah, that's fine. That's I mean, natural. I would, I would definitely like uh, you guys said. You know, wait till they're a little bit older to introduce them to something like the producers, or, um, you know, before that you do start learning the lighter side of uh, genocide and, and racism. <laughs> you know, let's let's understand what it really is first. Um, you know, and then we can you know we can talk about, um, you know, the producers and, and blazing saddles. Um, I definitely think that uh, it would go uh, Young Frankenstein, Spaceballs, Robin Hood, Men in Tights would be the first three, and that would probably be before they were 10 years old. You know, start around seven or eight, you know, and then once you watch some of the, you know, you watch this, this uh, you know, Frankenstein movie, you can, you know, maybe watch some of the old universal horror stuff to go with it. And it's like, see, it's not so mm-hmm. scary, you know, like this is kind of like the movie we just watched, you know. I don't know. That's just my thought. I don't have kids, so I can't. I can't say one way or the other. You know, whether this was a good idea or not. I can just go by uh, my own experience. So that's what I'm gonna say. So we have uh, crossed the hour border. Um, you know, I think that's a good. This is going to be a good place to kind of uh, to stop. But before we go, oh, see, <laughs> see, Steve knows. Um, I'm going to uh, get you guys final thoughts on the film and then uh, where folks can uh, find any of your contributions. So uh, let's start. Uh, Isaac, I'll start with you because I haven't started with you with uh, All right. pretty much anything. Uh, final thoughts. This, to me, is a perfect film from beginning to end. It is flawless. Everyone should go see this. And if you can, uh, if you want to see more of my work, I'll be across the street at the liquor store every once in a while. Uh, getting used to the lockdown, and go see this. This it's a this movie is a masterpiece. Uh, Anthony, Blazing Saddles is I think one of the greatest comedies ever made. I really think Mel Brooks is a genius when it comes to comedy, and he's like one of the few showmen ever in the history of film. 
because you don't see many showmen out there today. You we have like Brooks. You probably can say Kevin Smith's a showman as well. In of course Lloyd Kaufman. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, Blazing Souls is a must for anybody who appreciates the comedy genre, and it's definitely a film that will probably be living on for plenty of years to come. Yeah, I mean, we're, what, 40-plus years, and we're still talking about it. Yes. Yes. I can see people talking about it 40 years from now, too. And, and where can folks find you and your fine podcast? They can find my podcast, Anthony T's Horror Show, on the Doc Discussions Network at docdiscussions.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Anthony T's Horror Show. And on Twitter at Anthony T's Horror. Excellent. Uh, definitely check out uh, Anthony's show. Very good, high quality. A lot of great guests. Uh, deep insight into uh, some horror. Like a lot of stuff that you know, casual fans may not uh, may not consider. So there's some excellent stuff. You have something else you want to add? Yes. And uh, speaking of guests, I have a really good guest next episode on my podcast. As I'm bringing Sarah French onto my podcast to talk about her latest film, Rootwoods. And I will tell you the worst film of 2020, as this is guaranteed to be a lock for worst film of 2020. May I take a guess? Is it Veronica? <laughs> Sorry, sometimes I guess right. Yeah, that is, it. <laughs> that is like it's the that is the worst anthology film of all time. That is the worst film of this year and this decade. It's just so bad. What is if it? Veronica, Glenn Danzig's new film. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. It's really, really bad. I haven't no. seen it, but I've seen a couple of YouTube movie reviews about it. <laughs> and wow. Yeah. Danzig, Danzig tries, man. He tries. He didn't try. Uh, I, no, no. The guy's almost 70. I mean, he's pushing 70. I mean, you know, he's still yeah. chasing the dream. Pretty good. All right. So, uh, Steve, I'll talk more about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll hear more about it. Uh, and there'll be links to, uh, to the show. Yes, of I'll course. talk about it more. Because I can go on all day on this film. Steve. Um, I can't really say anything else much on on Blazing Saddles that hasn't been said by Isaac and or Anthony T. You guys covered it. It is a brilliant piece of work. Uh, I think that when people see it today, if you've seen it, if you're seeing it for the first time, the uh, advice that I would have for you is to watch it more than once. Because I think mm -hmm. that it is really so very different than the stuff that comes out today. And uh, it may it may be a little bit uh, shocking on different levels, maybe just even the style, even if you don't think that the, the uh, language is, is as shocking as maybe we did. Um, it's definitely very uh, different than the movies of today. So it may not be your cup of tea. Um, it's possible, you know, the taste is subjective and that's mm -hmm. fine. 
but I would say watch it a couple of times um, because I, I find that some of my most beloved films, I did not like my first time. I didn't actually think um, Holy Grail was very funny the first time I saw it at all. Like I thought it was just okay and the ending sucked and I kind of just didn't really get what the big deal was. And now I've seen the film 25 times and it's like well, one of my favorite movies. So I don't know. It's I, th I think that there are certain movies that you got to kind of put a little bit of time into, uh, you know, but that's my, uh, that's my advice. Uh, and also remember how, what a miracle it is that it got made in 1974. Um, it really was very, very difficult to make and it should not exist at all. By rights, no movie should ever be uh, as incredibly, uh, you know, well, it, it, the thing is like, it, it would be so easy to call the movie racist if you weren't really paying attention. Yeah, that's the other thing, and uh, it's it's it would be very easy to say that, and uh, of course you're missing the entire point of everything. But you know it would be easy to say that, so you know just bear that in mind. Uh, it's it's a miracle. Where in my opinion, it is one of the the best comedies ever, like Anthony said. But um, you know, put some time in. Uh, as far as where to find me, I am a one of four hosts of the Retro Redoctopus. Cephala Podcast. We are on the Dorking Network with Patsy and Ashes. Uh, Throw it on Thursday. And of course, the show you're listening to right now, Shark Bites. It's a really cool place. And we also we also, uh, we also also like coffee. Uh, like Deadly Brown. So I'm just saying. Um, just saying. Uh, yeah, so find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we are there. We have our most recent episodes. We're both on Ghostbusters. We talked about... Uh, Talked about the films, and then there was a little bonus episode that one of our hosts, uh, Ape and Alchemy, did, um, who actually is the dude who uh, did the ending theme to Shark Bites. So you'll be hearing that one a little bit. Oh, yes. And um, yeah, he did a little, uh, if you remember that scene in Ghostbusters 2 where they kind of go underground and they're in the old pneumatic railway system, and there's the river of pink slime. He actually does a, a little history on, on uh, real life history on that and uh, what it actually is. And it is actually, you know, still in New York and it is a real thing. It's just something that nobody really talks about. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, we like to talk about uh, all stuff that we loved as kids and uh, still love to this day, uh, like Blazing Saddles. So come check us out. And I will say that uh, my, uh, my whole thing with that is uh, I, I really enjoyed seeing it. I do recommend doing what Steve said and watching it a couple of times because if you've never seen it, um, you're either going to have one of two reactions. You're either going to be laughing too hard or you're going to be appalled by what you hear and, you know, you're going to be overwhelmed by whatever uh, specific emotion you're feeling at the time. So, you know, give it a chance to go back, you know, watch it a second time, you know, after the initial uh, impression wears off. You know, give it that second chance and, you know, really... If you liked it the first time, really dive into some of the nuance. And if you didn't like it, really dive into some of the nuance. Because, like Steve said, if you consider it a racist show, uh, you're not really a racist film. You're not really paying attention, you know, because there's right. there are many many layers to this. Um, so definitely uh, definitely give this one a watch. I think we all 100% recommend this. Uh, check out yes. these guys on their fine shows. And, uh, and at the liquor store across the street. And at the liquor store. Thank you. Across the thank you. And uh, with that, I want to thank you guys for joining me. And uh, thank you. I'm sure we'll see you guys back for, you know, a different subject. 
uh, Isaac, I know you will definitely be back to talk about uh, the producers. Oh, God, yes. So uh, with that, I'll be uh, right back after these short messages. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award-nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. Hey there, this is JB. And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. <laughs> Do you have a hankering for horror knowledge? We have such sights to show you. Do you require raging retro reviews? Do you desire discussions with devastatingly dashing dorks? Do have a free the Dorkening Podcast Network has nearly 30 shows to satisfy all of your nerdy, geeky, and dorky needs. From horror reviews and celebrity interviews. Hi, I'm Adam Green, the director of the Hatchet Films and the star of Allison. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. Hi, guys. This is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. As well as nostalgic trips into the past, pop culture, the latest in entertainment news, and so much more. Featuring a variety of shows and hosts that will simultaneously enrage, enlighten, and entertain you. Check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. My mom says I'm cool. Available on iTunes, Spotify, thedorkening.com, and wherever fine podcasts can be found. You're going to need a bigger boat. And I am back. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. That one was a lot of fun to do. Um, Just absolutely... (laughs) I love just like riffing about movies and uh, having a couple of folks on that also are really, really familiar with the film. Um, as you can tell, Mel Brooks has been a uh, 
big part of uh, all of our lives growing up, you know, and as adults, you know, because now, you know, like we we heard Parasite Steve talking about, he's got a, a younger daughter that he can start introducing to Mel Brooks and uh, all the films that uh, he grew up with, he can now share with her, which I think is just awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to the time when I can do that, you know, someday with my own kids and uh, with my, my niece. So... So I think with that being said, this has already gone on uh, a little over an hour, so I won't keep you too much longer. I will say that uh, anybody who is listening who participated in the trivia thing that we did uh, this past Friday on Throwdown Thursday, <coughs> thank you for participating. Uh, we had a really good turnout. Lots and lots of people were in the, the room. I am going to figure out a different way of uh, you know, how we kind of get this this uh, chat issue fixed but uh, if anybody has any suggestions let me know because we did facebook live and a lot of people were getting kicked out of the chat room because facebook was flagging their comments as spam and you know if you can't comment you can't answer the questions so that was kind of a pain but uh, i think i might have found a workaround for it i might just do a uh, a uh, facebook messenger group but if anybody else has any other uh, ideas that you want to share with me uh, let me know, sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Uh, I'm open to suggestions. Uh, probably do it again, you know, mid, mid-June. mid I think that'll be a good time. <clears throat> so before I go, I want to just uh, give you guys the, uh, the shark fact of the week and uh, let you know what's coming up on Throwdown Thursday. This week, Throwdown Thursday is going to be, uh, we're going to be interviewing author Drew Murray of the book Broken Genius. It's his debut uh debut novel um i've read it it's excellent <clears throat> it launches uh june 2nd you can pre-order it on amazon and a bunch of different sites <clears throat> so do yourself a favor check it out uh, i'm not really one for uh techno thrillers but i like this one a lot i really did i like this one a whole lot um there's definitely a few scenes that you know the right like the writing's good throughout the whole thing but there's a couple of scenes where you're not even reading anymore you're just kind of seeing what's happening uh he does a really good job of getting uh painting a word picture uh for lack of a better term um uh, i really enjoyed it i liked it and uh, i'm looking forward for some more stuff to some more stuff from him so hopefully uh we get to we get some of that soon but uh so this week uh, I have an interesting shark fact for you. If anybody out there has been playing the Maneater game that just got released by Tripwire Interactive, um, I've been playing it. I picked it up off the PlayStation Store. Initially, there were some issues that I had trying to get the game. I couldn't get it on the PlayStation Store. I couldn't get it on the PlayStation website. I was able to buy it through the PlayStation app on my phone. Um, I didn't see any physical copies when I went out, but folks have been... Uh, picking up the physical copies. I don't mind having the digital, but I've been playing it, and uh, you play as a bull shark. It's uh, it's interesting playing as a bull shark because you get the uh, the different environments. You can do saltwater and freshwater, which, if you've heard some of my uh, some of my past shark facts, you would know. Uh, or if you're a shark enthusiast, you would already know that. Um, so for this week's shark fact, I kind of wanted to touch on some of the stuff that's in the game that, and these aren't spoilers, this is stuff that, you know, you get right away. These are abilities that you have. Um, 
unlike what you have in the game, um, sharks do not possess sonar. Um, they do have heightened senses compared to what we humans are able to perceive, but they do not have a sonar ability. That is something that was made up specifically for the game, along with the fact that if you devour enough albino animals and get specific mutagenic uh, nutrients, you can evolve yourself, you know, get bigger, stronger, you know, various uh, bony protrusions, which is, you know, very interesting and looks uh, really interesting aesthetically, but sharks don't have bones to begin with. Uh, I will say, though, uh, playing this game, one of the things I like is that the during the loading screens, they will give you different, um, like, shark facts or gameplay tips. So pay attention to that on the bottom while you're uh, in, between, in between scenes. Um, I'm not overly good at this yet. I just evolved to, le- not evolved, but just uh, reached level 5. Uh, I have increased my sonar ability, and uh, I'm really liking it. I have not been able to defeat an alligator in combat yet. I can defeat small fish and turtles. Uh, I have yet to defeat an alligator, and that's one of the one of the quests that you have. So if I can finally do that, I will be very excited. But I have, as yet, uh, not defeated a uh, an alligator. Yeah, I get I get beat every time. So I gotta change up my strategy and figure out what the best way of uh, going about that is. So with that being said, uh, next week we're also going to be covering another uh, Mel Brooks episode with some more guests. Um, I'm going to leave that as a surprise. I won't tell you which one it is yet, but uh, rest assured, if you are a Mel Brooks fan, you're going to be very happy with next week's episode. So with that being said, uh, I want you to all be safe and healthy And uh, just remember that I am the podcaster, but as the listener, you are my chum. Have a great week, folks. Bye.